0: Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film.
1: Excellent. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's a Laugh Podcast, episode 206. Been almost a year since we last talked to you? Yeah. About (sighs) a year. But the time has flown by. Time has flown by. I'm your host, or one of your hosts, L-Train, Richard Lusk. Over there is the two frames, Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. And we have a third host today, our esteemed guest from down south. Hey, y'all. <laughs> the Dread Pirate Scott Rope uh, Gomez. Lasky <laughs> Gomez. Uh, you have too many hyphenations in your name. And now you have a brand new nickname, the Dread Pirate. I like that, because aren't you a pirate now?
0: I am a pirate, We're yes. going to have the
1: East Carolina University.
0: Yeah, Pirate Nation.
1: Excellent. And you've come to join us for our top five movies of the year, which these aren't really my top five. They're sort of like my top five. It was a hard year to uh, pick yeah, you, a top five.
0: You're ragging on me for not being prepared. You're
1: not prepared. No, I'm prepared. I have a reason for that, for oh, these okay. movies not being my top five. But I'll talk about myself last. <laughs> I'll let you guys talk about yourselves first. How did you come about with your, up with your list?
0: Um, Well, I downloaded the list of every film that was eligible for an award and basically put them in order as best I could, one through... Well, for me, it was about 80, I think, that I actually saw out of 370-something movies.
1: Ooh, you, so you saw 80 films. That's more than I me.
0: Think, maybe not. I don't know. I emailed it to you. I don't remember yeah, what the number is. I, I do think it was quite 80. It was probably less than that.
1: I remember at the time getting that email and being quite jealous of the number of movies that you saw versus the number that I saw, because I'm used to seeing a lot more But just, Well, actually, yeah. I usually
0: see more, too. I had not seen as many as I normally do.
2: Mr. Two Frames, what about you? It was an off year for myself. I... Probably barely got to 100 films. Get out of here! Yeah, I thought you were watching this year. I'm on a great pace. I'm yeah. at 64 films so far through the year <laughs> for 2018. Yeah, I've watched 64. February 23. Oh. I mean, a lot of that was catching up with 2017 films. That's that's better than a film a day. That's better than a film a day. Those snow days really helped.
0: Well, some of those awesome. films then don't really count as 2018 films.
2: Right. Well. So you're counting for those the years year for the 2018.
1: So for your list, you're counting yeah, some of those. Okay. Well. The,
2: the list is anything that came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. I think there's some movies on here that weren't nominated or weren't up for awards consideration. Maybe like Netflix films. Or right. One that
1: you DVD. just reminded me of right before yeah. the episode. I'm like, oh, that's probably that might have been my top movie of the year. Yeah. <laughs> but so. so, how did you come up with your like? Did you rank them, order them?
2: At- um, just put down anything i was like oh yeah that was a good film that was a good one and then just as i was going through the notes i just kept trying to condense it down and down so um, try to come up with interesting films so uh, um that's
1: that's kind of how i arrived at the list i'm going to talk about today i have some movies at the top that i'm just going to get right off the top and just wipe them away just so that you guys can't steal them away from me but i'm not going to talk about them because my top movie I, what i do is i rank my movies every year i haven't had a 10 i didn't really have a 10 this year but I had one that was close, and I ranked them, give them a score out of 10, and then oh, I put them in oh, order. okay. I was so confused. Yeah, and numbers don't really work well on the pod, but just in terms of, like, coming up with my list, I usually assign a number grade. Gotcha. Just like I'm grading students. Right. <laughs> and then I uh, and then I, I list them at the end. I just sort it on my little uh, Excel sp- spreadsheet, and then I realized that there were a couple of movies way at the top that I think some of you guys are going to talk about. So... I told you I was going to talk about them now and get them off my list, but I'm not going to. I'm going to save that for you because that's part of my duty as a, as a co-host. Okay. And I think one of them might be on Mr. Bull's list. If not, uh, the one that was on the edge that, that my top four are not. I'm not really going to talk about today. I, I picked from my list, and I'm going to pick the five most interesting movies because my list is very flexible. Okay. And these might be movies that people haven't seen. But I think that they should see, and I recommend them for a variety of reasons. A lot of times, Mr. Uh, Two Frames over here and I get into discussions about whether or not we would ever recommend that movie to someone, and generally, we can never think of anybody that we would recommend the movie to. But my first one is something that I would recommend, and I'm interested to see if you saw it, Mr. Gomez. It's the movie Landline. Oh, I mean, on Amazon great. Pro- I mean, great. How dare you scoff <laughs> my... No, I don't. I've How never dare you? <laughs>
2: It starts early, man. Early and often. That's the way it it. is here. All
1: right. So Landline is not necessarily a top 10 film for most critics. However, for me, it's in the top 10 movies that I saw this year. And it's on Amazon Prime. And uh, it's right around there with Baby Driver and It. And I I don't think I really like those two movies very much. But I like this movie. I like this movie quite a bit. it's on uh, Amazon Prime, as I said. It is directed by uh, Jillian Robespierre who uh, previously did Obvious Child, and it stars Jenny Slate, which is the reason that I kind of was attracted to it. But it also has uh, Edie Falco in it from uh, The Sopranos, the wife from uh, Tony Soprano's wife, which is probably not the best way to identify people anymore, but I can't remember the character's name. Uh, It also has uh, John Tutoro. He's going to be in the remake or the the sequel to um, The Big Lebowski.
0: Oh, they're making a sequel. To yeah, it. They already made it.
1: It's in the can. It just okay. needs to be released. Okay. Uh, and also, it's got a star turning, turning turn by a uh, young Abby Quinn, who plays the younger daughter in this very closely knit family that find out some secrets about each other, and then uh, they they share the secrets with each other in different ways, and. Uh, have to come to terms with a changing relationship. I, I assume that it's quite a bit autobiographical, but it's up in there with um, uh, some of the, the I don't know, in movies that are related to the time period of the nineties. So it's a set piece or it's a, uh, what is it called? Uh, when you go back in time and look at a movie from, a, no, 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 the whole movie itself, a period piece. Okay. okay. How's, how, how far back do you have to go to have a period piece?
0: At this point, not too far back.
1: I don't back. think 90s work. Yeah, because yeah. this is set in the 90s, and it has that 90s feel and the 90s mentality, and everything about it is a flashback to things that you would remember from the 90s if you came up in the 90s. So those, those are the kinds of people that I re- recommend it to, including you. And, uh, like, the, the, how would you get in touch with your, your family if you didn't have a cell phone? Or how would you find out about work uh, details if you didn't have a cell phone? So <clears throat> Jenny Slate has to encounter these uh, trivial things um, in a very, very, uh, in, I guess, interesting way. I keep coming back to that word, but it, it, to me it was intriguing and interesting to look at it as a timepiece. And then the story itself was sort of secondary to that, maybe tertiary, because the top thing that I liked about it was the humor. Jenny Slate is, uh, uh, she's, she's in a lot of those indie movies with the Duplass brothers. Jay Duplass is in this, in fact. Most people would probably know her as a voice actress from, um, oh, uh, Bob's Burgers, she's in, and also... Lego Batman. Right. And then last year... Well, she was in the Lego Batman movie and um, Despicable Me 3. So that might put her in the top of the actresses, like in terms of (laughs) ticket sales of the movies that she was in. She was in uh, Better Pets or Secret Lives of Pets. So... That's my pick for number five, gentlemen. Like Come it. at me with yours, because, because that's awesome. Mr. Gomez, what do you got? Um, my pick for number
0: five was Lady Bird, directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, I just thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It seemed to me to be a very realistic portrayal of um, those later teenage years right before college. Um, and also, I felt like the relationship between the mother and the daughter felt very um, felt very honest. Um, I thought both of the actresses were doing an incredible job: um, Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf playing the mother and the daughter. Um, so I thought it was a strong script, strong cast, um, and very funny. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I didn't want it to end. Actually, I would have watched it for another two hours.
1: I, I love that Laurie Metcalf.
0: Yeah, she's incredible.
2: For a nominee, uh, she, she is. She is that. Both women are nominated.
0: Yep, and the director, I believe.
2: Yes, but Greta uh, Gerwig is nominated for best director.
1: I, I appreciate that as as your pick. Do you think it's one of the? I mean, do you do you think it's like an Oscar worthy movie that Lady Bird? I mean, I
0: know that you really... Out I, of the movies that came out this year, yes. When really? I looked back over all the mo- movies that were released, yeah.
2: And maybe, maybe that's just good. What about you, Mr. Two Friends? I actually watched both of your movies on the same day, and I thought they were incredibly similar. Yeah,
1: I think that Gillian Robespierre and Greta Gerwig are, have a similar voice. They're, they're like the voice of that sort of, I guess, millennial generation. Th- both of these movies, to me... Mine a little bit more than yours reminded me of like a, a funny episode of Girls before it got too self-indulgent with um, just quicker lines. I don't know. Just quicker types of humor. So,
2: what is, nice. um, Mr. Bull. My pick? Um, I think I'm going to go with for number five, Bridsby Bear. <laughs> yeah. That's what I like. <laughs> so you guys are able to bring in the indie films. Uh, Bridsby Bear came out in the middle of summer. Didn't get a huge release. It's um, about a teenage man-child or 20-something-year-old man-child his parents have raised him in a biodome his dad is mark (laughs) hamill and they've taught him to be very worried about the whole world and you know it's kind of a cult of three wait jedi master to mark hamill no mark hamill is his father yeah yeah just playing mark hamill just crazy guy who ex-actor mark hamill (laughs) A, you know uh, never was much of an So actor. is he playing himself? No, no, he's just in the film. He's just oh, okay. he's just playing. <laughs> oh, he's just playing he's like confused. a ra- a r- random dude, That's a normal confused. dude whose family just lives out in the desert. Blah, blah blah. Um, the cops finally come and arrest Mark Hamill and his wife, drag them <clears> away, and now this boy has to be reacclimated to real life. He finds out Mark Hamill is not his real father, and he's reunited with his family that he's been missing from for like his entire life. Um. He's in love with this TV show that his dad was making episodes of, Britsby Bear. It's kind of like Winnie the Pooh meets science fiction. It's a, it's very weird, a little bit kind of kinda like Barney, you know, guys in huge costumes. His dad was making it for for him. him. So it There didn't are like really eight hundred <laughs> episodes, and he's upset that there's not the eight hundred and first episode. He wants to see where this is going, so he makes friends with Greg Kinnear and some other people, and they start making a movie of Bridsby Bear. Oh, okay. And it's a heartwarming film. It's very weird, very strange, but very, very heartwarming. I, I really enjoyed it. It was one of my favorite movies from the summer. Was the kid uh, abducted? Yeah, he was abducted oh. uh, from the hospital right after
1: he was born. So Interesting stuff. I remember hearing about it, but I, I never did watch it. Did you see that
0: there? No, I did not. DP? I never heard of it, actually. Never
1: heard of Brigsby Bear? Had you heard of Landline? No. ha See, that's podcast. the whole point. I told you. That's the point of, the, of this, and that's the point of my number four pick. Okay. Because you might argue that it's obscure. Some people might have heard about it, but I love this movie, and you'd be surprised to know. Because if, you, if you've seen it, I don't think that you would think that this is a movie that would touch me the way that it did. Because I'm probably the least emotionally invested person uh, in movies. Like, I, I don't find myself being emotionally invested in any way. Generally, when I watch movies, so it's a very uh, s- sort of intellectual pursuit. My enjoyment of movies is based on things other than uh, my emotional attachment. Nevertheless, this movie got me emotionally. It's called Wonderstruck. I have heard of it's it. It's an Amazon Prime movie. Have you seen it there, Mr. Bull? I have not seen this. Is this Mr. About-
0: Gomez? I have heard of it, yeah.
1: All right, it's based on a, a, a children's novel.
0: Yeah, I know what you're <laughs> talking about.
1: How dare you scoff and scorn? Did you go to the theater to watch any movies this year? I didn't go to the movie. We talked about this. I didn't see as many movies as I wanted to see. But this movie is great. It is wonderful. And it, hence the name Wonderstruck. Uh, It's about a young boy named Ben who longs for his father that he's never known. That story is set in 1977. And Ben is played by uh, this kid, Oaks Fegley who I've never heard of, but apparently he was Pete and Pete's dragon. And he has a relationship with this director. Cause Todd Haynes, uh, also directed, the uh, am I right? Pete's dragon? No, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm right about that. Todd Haynes directed far from heaven and I'm not there. And, um, interesting movies from, you know, I guess, uh, Carol, the movie Carol was his last good movie that was up for any sort of awards. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody else directed Pete's Dragon and he's on my list later on. So I'll, I'll get to him later. Anyway, this kid was, um, best known as Pete from Pete's Dragon. But in this movie, he plays a young kid who goes in search of his father in 1977. Simultaneously, there's a story going on in 1927. And it's, uh, a young girl named Rose who is on a similar journey. And her story plays out in a, in a different time period. But at some point along the line, the two stories intersect and uh, it sort of falls into place. And then the whole movie becomes something bigger than what it was with these sort of semi disjointed parts. The uh, young girl that plays Rose in 1927 is uh, Millicent Simmons. She's going to be in next year's a quiet place. Um, one of my favorite or most uh, anticipated movies of next year. Um, now, the, the children's, I'm not going to say much more about the movie except that I loved it, but the source material is Ben's story is told completely in words, and Rose's story is told completely with pictures, so it's like a graphic novel. And in this sort of experimental way, the two stories melt melt together, and it becomes something, like I said, the sum of its part, the sum is greater than the parts, or the sum of the parts, another math equation I can't do very well. It's so on Amazon Prime right now, and yes, Mr. Bull, it is in my top five movies of the year. Landline and Wonderstruck. That's great.
0: Julianne Moore's in it too, right?
1: Julia Moore plays a character in in uh, the movie, and she has such a she her her face is so uh, set for the character that she is playing that uh, you begin to make those connections if you, if you've studied film. Um, and the, she's set in 1927. Her one of her characters is in 27, and she plays a character similar to and I can't think of her name now but uh, a
0: silent movie actress.
1: a silent movie actress from way down home it's the same sort of uh, intrigue that happens with you know the girl floating on the ice with the baby you know that silent film yeah. uh, way down home I think is what it's called uh, and I can't whatever I can't think of the, the movie actress's name but they have similar features you know they, not similar features they just have a look there's a certain look that silent movie stars had, and Julianne Moore um, probably could have been quite the actress in the silent movie. So. Anyway, that's Wonderstruck. That's my number four movie of the year.
2: I like it.
0: Lasky, what have you got for number
1: four?
0: Uh, number four for me was Phantom Thread. Ooh, oh,
1: right. you went
2: to theaters and saw that, did you? I did. I did see it in the theaters. How
1: dare you? Where did you see Brigsby Bear? In theaters. <laughs> no, you did not. All right, go ahead. It was
2: released in theaters.
0: <laughs> it's another film by Paul Thomas Anderson, whose movies I always enjoy. Um, I find them bizarre and fascinating. I really um I think he's a great director. And um it was it was all-encompassing. It's not the right word. It was um I I was drawn into it and it I was glued to the screen. I couldn't stop watching. I was fascinated by this um very bizarre relationship, actually two bizarre relationships between the lead character, his muse, and his sister. Uh, It took a long time to kind of figure out what was going on between the three of them. And um, I thought it was an interesting exploration of the creative mind, what it takes to be creative at that level, and what that does to people who devote their lives to it. Um, And I found myself thinking about it many days after I had seen it, it kind of stuck with me and I kept thinking about it. Um, so, I like movies that do that. Movies that make me think I very much enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm the same way about Phantom Thread. It's actually higher on my list than these other two movies but I had to... I, I wasn't going to talk about it because I thought you might talk about it and I thought, Mr. Bull, you liked it quite a bit
2: too. Uh, yeah, I did. I thought incredibly well composed Paul Thomas Anderson just the way he pulls a shot together is amazing that house where it's set in it's it's a beautiful home and there's so much going on with that staircase and, and there's a lot of analysis I think you can do about when characters are going up and down the stairs and yeah. power relationships and the dynamics, it's a very interesting film, I'm sure it'll be studied a lot in film classes in years to come a lot of stuff about food
1: and, and the meal, the shared communal experience of the meal and what that's all about, well
0: and the importance of Family relationships, especially relationships between mothers and children, and um, power right. control, it, it, exerting control over others. It wound up being a different and wanting movie to be controlled. That
1: yeah, the, yeah, like in a weird psychosexual way that I wasn't prepared for necessarily. I didn't, I did, I should have known.
0: Yeah, I did not go that I deep. I did not see I, it coming either. I was i was kind of surprised by where it went
1: i was a little let down by his last uh outing inherent vice his last oh i didn't see that one to be honest and and it surprised me that i was so disappointed with that movie but it it, well it was based on a novel
0: by um thomas Pynchon. yeah (laughs) well i mean yeah
1: it was out there
0: yeah thomas Pynchon is this was read several of his books when i was getting my master's degree i they this was this, this story, was a so.
1: original screenplay that they didn't know was going to be set in the fashion world when he started collaborating with Daniel Day Lewis. They didn't even they they just knew this feeling, apparently. He just had this this construction in his head based on the relationship between the two main characters. Not I think Leslie Manville's up for best supporting actress, and I guess you could say that was a secondary relationship, but I mean for me that's the most interesting <laughs> Character in the movie, I, like look, I'd like to look at next time I look at. It, I'd like to look at it from her perspective. But anyway, P.T. Anderson talked about something that happened between him and his wife Maya Rudolph um, from SNL, and, and she uh, that that sort of give and take uh, is is the impetus for the movie, apparently. So
0: That's that, interesting. I thought I read somewhere that it was loosely based on a real designer. Oh, and then, then back then. In... <clears throat> 30s or 40s.
1: Yeah, after they came up with that and then they decided to set in the fashion okay. world, they they decided to... So that
0: actually came after. Interesting.
1: Right, so this is actually my third highest movie, too. So, uh, and I don't know if you have it anywhere. You're going to pile on with this.
2: Discussion. Yeah, I'll probably talk more about Fam Thread when we do the Oscar picks, because um, I am very high on the movie. <clears throat> so I didn't put it in my top five just because I figured other people would and kind of want to spread the wealth. A-
1: apparently the, uh, the name of the lead character is a joke. It's just a joke they had. Like Daniel Day-Lewis was talking to P.T. Anderson over the phone, and they were discussing this movie, and he said, why don't we call him Reynolds Woodcock? Apparently they both fell into paroxysms of laughter, and they, he couldn't get over it. He goes, absolutely, and he wrote a draft with that as his name, and it just kind of stuck, which is, it's funny to me. It's sort of like the Ernest Hemingway iceberg idea that there's a whole lot of stuff going on behind what you actually see on the screen in this movie. <laughs> like uh, another thing was, Stanley Lewis didn't know Leslie Manville at all. So about a year before they started filming, they started taking like vacations together and and calling each other on the phone daily, and they became really really close friends. So I mean, I guess that's about as method as you can get.
0: Well, he tends to go method. And yeah, I, mean, I think that's what he always does.
1: He claims, I guess, it takes a lot out of him. He learned to sew for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which I he build a
0: happen. log cabin when they were doing Lincoln. I mean, I think <laughs> out of Lincoln logs, no, okay. like logs, like probably. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's he's very method. He does that in all his movies. He won't talk to anyone involved in the movie in any way except as a character, they have to address him as the character. <laughs>
2: Reynolds,
1: so um, yeah, they had to talk.
2: feed him on my left foot. He refused
1: to move. <laughs> that's a little bit, that's a little bit much. Sadly, I guess what we talk about with the Oscar show will determine whether or not you think he's going to get the, uh, the, nod, the, uh, the nod, but that was also my number three, I guess. So.
2: I like it. Well, my number four, it's not going to win any awards, at least outside of this podcast. Fantastic film uh, from second-time director S. Craig Zoller who in previous years we've talked greatly about Bone Tomahawk, his first film. This is his follow-up. It's called Brawl in Cell Block 99. It stars Vince Vaughn as a uh, felon who goes behind bars and is forced to fight his way to Cell Block 99 in order to save his family, his wife and his unborn child. His wife is played by Jennifer uh, Carpenter from Dexter. Uh, Don Johnson is also in the film. It is a brutal film. If you thought Bone Tomahawk was brutal, you haven't seen anything since. It, you you haven't seen anything yet. Um, his next film looks to be even more brutal. It stars Vince Vaughn again, this time teaming up with Mel Gibson in a movie called Drags Across Concrete. It's supposed to come out later this year. Did you see that Bone Tomahawk? No, that's a western. It's fantastic. Yeah, you know I don't like with troglodytes. Yeah. And, a and western insane. with troglodyte. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh how are you? I know you hate western. How are you, How are you into troglodyte movies?
0: I don't know that I've seen a troglodyte movie <laughs> to be honest.
1: I like the brawl in Cell 99. The problem with it is the title. I think.
2: Well, apparently there were other. It's supposed to be reminiscent of an exploitation film, like a <laughs> grindhouse film like from the 1970s. They're trying to get that sort of aesthetic, though it's shot on digital. So it looks nice and clean, but it is a brutal, brutal film. Um, I know when I give Tony Chris' top five list, uh, he's got it in there too. He enjoyed the film quite a bit. Both of us are looking forward to uh, Dragged Across Concrete. It's a very, very personal list for you. Yeah, Uh, yeah, but no, fantastic film. I mean, I just, I I was thoroughly enraptured with it and I have gone back and rewatched it. It's one of the few films I've watched twice from twenty seventeen. So. so
1: does that count again on your list of eight hundred movies that you like
2: No no I only get to count once. Okay, you only count it okay. once. But I've seen, seen yeah. it twice. And even gone like rewatch certain scenes like <laughs> okay. the, of the car and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, he has a, a an emotional breakdown that I guess with his car or his wife's car and he Tears it apart. He just destroys the car it with happens, his bare hands. It happens early in the movie, so it's not that much of a spoiler. But there's so much tension associated with other places I thought they were going to go that that part of it made me uncomfortable. And then and then I just I I don't know that word brawl. It just I guess it depends on how you it's how up you there with moist. It. You just don't care for it. No, I'm fine with moist and brawl. I just don't I don't I think it's misapplied here. I was waiting for a brawl. I don't know if I really oh, saw a brawl. Okay. All right. Yeah, but that, that's all right. Yeah,
2: fair enough. Well, what's I'm not going to scoff at your picks, and the, you, you you should because you know what I saw it streaming. <laughs> Didn't see that one in theaters.
1: Yeah. So you it, you saw Bruce B. Bear in theaters? Yeah, you really did. Yeah. Okay. So every other movie you saw in theaters?
2: Um, no, Mister
1: no, Miz. The DP Gomez, did you go to all these to see these in uh, theaters, or did you see uh, these on streaming?
0: These five, yes, definitely. Okay, all the movies I've seen over the year, no. Uh, so some of them I saw online. Okay, yeah.
2: I mean, all these I would have wanted to see in theaters. I would love to watch Brawl and Cell Block Ninety Nine on a big IMAX screen. Yeah, see, I think land... seventy foot tall Vince Vaughn. <laughs> awesome.
1: He's almost that tall anyway. My uh, landline movie is not. It's not necessary that you watch it on a big screen. Wonderstruck would have been good on a big screen too, because mm-hmm. there are some elements where the kids are enraptured. And then Phantom Thread, I think you have to see because you need to be. I think you need to be locked in. Similarly, with I guess this is my number two movie.
2: Number three, we're in the bronze round. Well,
1: three. didn't I already say Phantom Thread? So I well, guess you, but gotta you skip. just
0: gotta
2: sit out. Oh, I thought you were I'll to sit out three. then. You go on. Then. Oh, I you thought you were skip going to substitute, substitute something
0: three. else. Then. Yeah, I figured you'd substitute. No, I'm not,
1: something else. I don't have to substitute anything else. Uh, I mean, Darkest Hour was one of my favorite movies of the year. Just, I, I hadn't planned on talking about it today, but uh, I think as a record of, or as a historical document, it it's probably a necessary thing because I don't think that we're really going to stick with World War II movies after this. This paired together with Dunkirk, which is actually my number one movie of the year and I'm not going to talk about. Because I just left it off the list. I told I explained this at the beginning of the show. There's three movies at the top of the thing I wasn't going to talk about. Okay, I'm on the top of my list. Except for now, I'm talking
2: about I was it going because to you say, guys, can yeah, you're me them to. all out
0: there. Here are all the movies Dunker, I'm not going to uh, talk about. So you weren't going
2: to Tershaw. talk about Phantom Thread, which was your third film. Yeah, no, no, th- <laughs> Phantom Thread wasn't one of those. You just
1: said it was your third film. It is my third film on this list. It's not my top three movies on my overall
2: list. Wow, you got your double secret list. <laughs> no, I have two lists. I'm allowed to have two lists. I feel like you do you're another like a, podcast, and you're you like a split personality you today. Yeah.
1: Which Richard Lusk are we doing a podcast with? The one that likes Dunkirk and Darkest Hour. Uh, the best thing about Darkest Hour is not necessarily Gary Oldman. I was really taken with Lily James's character as the conduit to the to the movie, or to, uh, as as the uh, what is it? The audience surrogate. I thought she was exceptional, and it, it bothers me that she keeps getting looked over for these supporting actress awards like she's not even in the running for anything but um i really enjoyed well, seeing it her was end.
0: actually an unusually strong weird year for actresses for, for supporting her. okay yeah Hold i on. think many years it's kind of like they're scrounging around trying to find women to nominate but this year i don't think they had that problem i think there were lots of people that got left off the list
1: yeah, and there are some other actors in this that could have been nominated.
2: Uh... Ben Mendelsohn playing the king in yeah. this. I thought his vocal performance was better than Gary Oldman. I mean, I know everyone's saying Gary Oldman just nailed his Churchill, but Ben Mendelsohn doing that stutter, he did yeah. it so much better than um, oh, uh, Colin Firth in The King's Speech. And And, there are times where you can tell he's getting nervous as he's having a conversation and the stutter gets worse, or as he gains confidence, it starts to go away. I mean, it's a lot of really subtle work being done there.
1: And he didn't look or seem or act like, I mean, obviously anything like what he's normally typecast as, which is white trash. Yeah. He's normally seen in that, uh, like, hick sort of uh, character. And when he appeared, I was like, I know that guy. Who's that guy? And through through the whole I had to wait until the end credits to find out who it was. So anyway, Darkest Hour, I guess, is number three since I get to have as many movies as i want on my and you have list. Three
2: films at number 3. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and my number 1 is also at number 3, which was Dunkirk, but i'm not trying to steal that from anybody. <laughs> it's fine.
2: Okay. What do you have for your bronze medalist,
0: Pulaski? Well, my number 3 is definitely going to be unique to me. I'm pretty sure it's not on your list and something Richard probably didn't even see or if he did it was under protest, The Greatest Showman.
1: No, but i do have some, I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see it? No, at all? but my dad loves it. Yeah, You couldn't it, stop talking about it last night.
0: I've seen it twice already, and I would go see it right now if I could, honestly. I, it's such a great movie. But, of course, I love musicals, so I'm prone to like something like this. But I also think it's incredibly well done. Um, it was very entertaining, emotionally engaging. Um, I think Hugh Jackman is one of the greater actors we have living today. I think he is wow. not always recognized as much as he should be. Because um, he can do anything. When you think about this man doing this, playing Jean Valjean, playing Wolverine, I mean, there's really almost nothing
1: he can't do. Um, Except for getting nominated. Well, he has been nominated, no, just actually, <laughs> just
0: not this year. I agree. And again, yeah. it was a year where I think in another year he would have gotten nominated. I think there were just too many people to nominate. But I also think this movie... Um, Lost a chance at getting awards once people started discussing the idea that it wasn't really P.T. Barnum's life that it would been had been too heavily fictionalized. Who cares? um, I agree with that completely, but you know there are people that that matters a lot to. So there was a kind of a critical Hmm. backlash against the movie. I think if they
2: changed the character's name and just said yeah, it was inspired by the life of P.T. Barnum a lot of people think it would have done a lot better yeah with the or if they just gave him a different name altogether and
0: yeah. didn't even talk about P.T. Barnum and let people draw their own conclusions yeah I think it would have done better I think the fact that they said it was based on his life the critics just went no it's not wow there's wow. been a lot of written about how they played fast and loose with the truth that there are, there are all kinds of things wrong with the movie as far as his life I mean apparently wow. he wasn't really a very nice man he did not treat his oddities as he called them very well they were yeah. not a family, but even they, they, as they're portrayed in the movie.
1: They the critics seem to pick and choose where they where they cast their ire. Oh, I agree. i like, that's that that not disagree with you at all. Huh. But
0: it, it, for me, terrible. it was definitely. I mean, it could have easily been my number one movie. It just, I just, I, this is a movie I will see. I will buy the DVD and I will watch it a thousand times. Huh. I but, I'm still listening to music in my car. I'm not tired of it at all. Um, and I of course loved the um. The themes of tolerance and acceptance, you know, growing up as a gay man, that is something that strikes a huge emotional chord with me.
1: Well, my dad told me that the music was organic and it doesn't seem like a musical where the artificiality of musicals are what generally gets me in my uh, hatred (laughs) for musicals. But he said that... The music was more like Old Country, or not Old Country for No Men, the other Coen Brothers movie that's a musical. Where Art Thou, Brother? Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, yeah. Where, where Art brother? Thou, Brother? Where Art Thou, Brother? <laughs> I'm watching No old Brother, Where Art Thou. I just made No Country for Old Men as a musical. I just recast that in my mind. So, uh, I don't know I'm not sure true, about that,
0: actually, to be honest, but I do think, in particular, the lyrics were brilliantly written. I was constantly amazed and still am at the use of metaphor. and how things that are spoken early on in the movie come back again later on in other songs near the end of the movie. Like, it's just, it's very, it's very well written.
1: Well, I'm, I hate musicals, but I, you know you know my feelings about... No,
0: oh, absolutely. So I said, you probably haven't seen it. I'm not... You don't know my hatred for circus movies. No, I don't. Oh, yeah. Although, you, I think you mentioned it in an email. Yeah, to
2: be circus movies are so good. Yeah, they're the worst. I don't know of any. What other circus movie? Like I'm not thinking of circus. Creep movies. is the most famous one. The black and white Creeps film. Creeps. Sorry. Yeah. Um. There's a John Wayne film, Circus World.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, I've never big I top Wee You had to see big well, top. Well, I saw Pee-wee.
2: that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. Dumbo,
1: also a musical. Is Dumbo count as a circus movie? Um, there was I, don't, also, I don't remember. Um,
0: well, he was a circus elephant.
1: Yeah, but yeah. The, uh, this, is that just the setting or the beginning, the initial, like, an exposition? I
0: don't know. It's been a long time since I saw Dumbo, to be honest. I think they're doing a live-action version.
2: Well, and also, uh, you got mad, because you threw out there are no great circus movies, and I threw out, um, not tightrope, um... Trapeze? Trapeze. Yeah, <laughs> or Trapeze artists or yeah. something like that? It was, like, the third highest grossing movie of 1953 with Tony
1: Curtis in it. <laughs> That's something that, uh... Should be what circus movies have you seen that you hate? All oh, that we've mentioned, I hate them all except for okay. Big Top Pee Wee. I love it.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't even think of that as a genre uh, actually because it's, <laughs> don't, there don't aren't that many that I know. Well,
2: of apparently it. the trapeze artist apparently it was in the forties yeah. through like the sixties and then it went away. Um, it, it,
1: it hit that weird uh, niche in between, like film noir. And uh, pirate movies, where you had to have some sort of comedic element in there.
2: Well, and I was reading, apparently, as the circuses were closing up, there was this huge talent pool of actors, or not of actors, but Elephants. performers. Yeah, and you had animals and stuff. I mean, it was like, look at all these living props we can use in a film. You know, let's take advantage of this, and the circus is something people love to go see, and they Except will the- go see it for a year. They'll go to a movie theater to watch it, so... Hollywood did that, but then really, you know, by the time you get to the 70s, unfortunately, people's love of the circus dried up.
1: Well, people's love for animals became more important than
2: their love for clowns. Oh, I, I love the circus. Yeah. You love yeah, the, I think the problem too. Is
0: I agree with Richard. I think the problem is that people have realized that animals are not being treated
2: well. Yeah, but you can still have the circus without the animal. <laughs> I mean, There's that's it. what all the Cirque du Soleil stuff is shown. No, Cirque du Soleil is awesome.
0: Man. But, the popularity of circuses really was animals for a very long time. They should make. And to of- some people, a circus without animals isn't a circus. I think some people would not want to see something like Circus Away. How does the greatest I mean, showman do you it know,
1: crazy? But that's, how does the greatest showman deal with the animal element of it?
0: It doesn't really deal with it. They don't. It the animals show up in a few scenes here and there, but it's really about the people. Because okay. it starts with. It starts with it before it was actually a circus. He calls it a circus, but it's really all these um, unusual people. Um, that's the circus as it started before, you know, there are a couple of animals here and there, but it's not really a circus circus yet. At the very end of the movie, well, I don't know that I should give
2: anything Yeah, away. don't give
1: anything away.
0: Okay. You?
2: Yeah, I'm... I'm- have you seen it? No, I, uh, I was supposed to go with my wife, and we just were unable to go over the holidays to go see it. So I'm very excited for it to come out on Blu-ray. Yeah. Maybe you should pull your nose out of your TV. And there are,
0: there are a lot of things about it that remind me of Moulin Rouge. It's it's very similar oh, in no. style.
1: makes <laughs> <laughs> me less interested in it. Oh, Rouge is a great film. <laughs> All right. It's, this is all personal. Very subjective your list.
2: number three? My number three, strangely enough, is a movie about the Catholic Church. <laughs> oh, uh Novitia, that's the one you were talking about. Um, from director Maggie Betts, who apparently had done some documentaries. This is her first actual feature film. Uh, stars Margaret Qualley as a young teenage girl who decides to join the church and become a nun. And it follows her through her first two-ish years. In the church, and it's set in the 1960s, so the Second Vatican was going on, and the Catholic Church was under a lot of changes, including their views on the role nuns should play going forth. And apparently, from watching the movie and also from listening to interviews that the director gave, um, tens of thousands of nuns gave up um, their commitment to the church and they left. Um, And really, the Catholic Church has never. Recovered? Recovered from it. Um, Wait, they
1: left because of Vatican II?
2: Vatican II, largely. Um, the director, because it was too liberal? Well, one of the big things that Vatican II did was it said that nuns no longer have a special place in the hierarchy amongst Catholics, like priests do. Um, it said that the status of nuns is the same as any other Catholic. Oh,
1: so prior to 1968, the nuns... The, according to this movie, prior to 1968, the nuns were
2: nearly equivalent to priests, somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, they they enjoyed a special status and
1: (laughs) they enjoyed a special status when I was a kid, Catholic school. (laughs) They were still beating the crap out of me. So
2: I mean, not everyone leaves. Um, Melissa Leo plays the head nun and she's fantastic. She should have easily been nominated for best supporting actress. In fact, her performance really kind of overshadows a lot of the other characters and, most critics who didn't care for the film said that it should have been centered around M- Melissa Leo's character. I mean, that's how good she is. They wanted more of that. And just, you know, this woman, after 40-plus years in the church, uh, finding out, yeah, we don't really care that you're married to God and that you've devoted your life. You know, you need to change everything that you've believed in. Huh. Um, huh. And she just has this horrible breakdown. Huh. Um, the rest of the cast is very good. Uh, Diane Aragon from Lee... Mm -hmm. is in the film, uh, not for very long, but she has a very uh, nice little part. They did a nice job of collecting a a wonderful cast of female actresses who I've seen in small bit parts here and there, and they're all given chances to shine in this film.
1: Explain how, in this time period of, you know, hashtag me too, and, and this insight into women's movements and women's ideas, explain to me how this movie... Has never been heard about by anybody in our
2: audience, or it, it was in Mr. theaters for a couple of weeks. Me. It was in local theaters around here.
1: Yeah, but no. So what? What was the problem with why? Why didn't uh, anyone, why didn't anyone see
2: it? Why is why is there no outcry for Noviciate? Um, the film was released by Sony Pictures. I'm guessing Sony decided maybe it came
0: to, out before the whole Me Too movie came it, out.
2: It came out in October, November. Huh of 2017 okay. I just don't think Sony got behind promoting this film I think they decided to promote other things I think they have Lady Bird I think that's a Sony film okay. A24 oh A24 okay um, I'm sure Sony though has a film that was up for awards consideration you know sometimes great films just get kind of pushed to the side and I think this was one of them
0: yeah, yes. the studios do definitely kind of pick and choose and decide what they're going to put
1: their weight behind when it comes to award season. They don't like uh, nun movies either.
2: Ever since Audrey Hepburn just, and just what, A Nun Story, I don't think there's been a great nun movie. Doubt. Is that really a nun movie? I mean, if you want to say that, then we yeah, can I mean, say sister did with, Act is Didn't a she win
1: the Academy Award? Uh, Meryl Streep? Or, no, was it Meryl Streep? She was nominated. I don't think she won. No. Amy Adams was nominated. I don't think she won. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't I don't think he was nominated. Uh, but I think that, that was one of the. Viola Davis. Oh, Davis was nominated. She won. Did she win? I don't think she won. No, she, she didn't. She didn't win. That's right. Yeah, no. That's probably the last nun movie I remember seeing. The Flying Nun. Wasn't that a movie with. Well, before uh, that was.
0: God, I can't remember the name nuns of Nuns on it's the Road. Based run. on a Broadway play with. Um, Something <laughs> <on> right.
1: <laughs> Sister Act? No. It Is that about a, nuns? It's not really about, well, no. mm, kind of. And then Mary Tyler Moore played a nun in an Elvis movie. A uh, Change of Habit. I think, is that it? Yeah. She was the only. That was Elvis's last film, Agnes of
0: God in the 80s oh, yeah. based on a Broadway play. Yeah, I remember
1: that. Jane Fonda and
0: Tilly, not Meg Tilly. Oh, no, Meg Tilly. Not the other, not Jennifer May. Right.
1: I always get them confused. In fact, I got them confused when I was looking up Jenny Slate earlier. And I meant to say that Jenny Slate
2: sounds like a younger version of Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> but then I, I was thinking Meg Tilly. And then you know there are exploitation films, especially popular in the seventies, like with European cinema. No. The Grindhouse Theater, yeah. Well there is a movie coming out this year called Nun and it's a horror movie. Uh I've only seen nuns with guns.
1: <laughs> well, enough nun <none> talk. Where <laughs> where are we now? What what's going no, on? Number I, two. I,
2: You're number I'm two. I'm not up to
1: three yet. I don't get to name five more movies that I saw. Alright, number two. Number well, you've two already named five actual all right, well, this you keep is number sneaking two. Sneaking others in. All right, I want to talk about it. first. Before I talk about number two, I want to talk about my 11 through 22 picks. Right. Yeah. All right, so number two for me, this is a movie I saw very early in the year, I think. I just can't remember uh, when we saw it. I think it came out in the winter. Uh, at any rate, it has stuck with me. There's one, if we were going to do top five movie moments this year, this. A moment that happens in this movie, which seems sort of a like a throwaway movie, or uh, sorry, a throwaway moment, encapsulates uh, what I enjoyed most about this this film, and it really has nothing to do with the main plot. I don't think it's sort of a secondary thing or tertiary thing. Anyway, it's uh, Wind River. Mm-hmm. Wind River by a uh, uh, written directed by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Sicario, which was our favorite movie. Well. Mr. Bulls and my favorite movie from a couple years ago. I don't think you liked it too much. Or I actually have not see it. seen
0: it. Every time I get, I've kind of forgot about it and then recently I was like, oh, I never saw that and I need to It's on my list. I yeah. want to see it. I just never actually saw it.
1: He also wrote high mm-hmm. Hell, high Hell. Hell or High Water. And High was Water? or High Water. Which was really high on our list last year. I yep. think you too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a movie about Native American women and uh, the sort of sad fact that on our American Indian reservations now they're statistically not tracked to determine whether or not they they're missing persons statistics are not tracked. They're apparently, according to the movie, they're the only demographic group where those numbers are fairly unknown or very very difficult to find. Uh, stars Jeremy Renner as a U.S. Fish and Wildlife agent, sort of a tracker type. He's Corey Lambert, who discovers the dead body of uh, young Natalie Hansen and uh, sort of helps out the young novitiate uh, (laughs) female FBI actress or character who comes in, Jane Banner, played by Elizabeth Olsen, to uh, help her solve the case. She's kind of out there alone. Uh, Graham Greene also stars in this. uh, Famous... Probably our most famous Native American actor right, living right now. But the uh, scene, the episode that I was talking about, uh, the, the scene anyway, occurs between Corey Lambert and uh, Martin Hansen, the son. I'm uh, sorry, the, the father of the missing girl and or the murdered girl, actually, played by Gil Birmingham. And we find out at some point that they have a shared experience maybe before or after this moment in the movie, but when he first goes up to tell uh, Gil Birmingham about what has happened, they have this, they, they, they share a knowing glance and then they, they move that they separate themselves from the rest of the group. And then they have this shared emotional moment where, because they have this similar experience They're very, very closely connected at that time, and it doesn't require a whole bunch of exposition. It doesn't require a whole bunch of words. It's just really good acting in it, and it's one of the few times I found myself uh, emotionally moved in a movie Uh, this year. Anyway, it didn't
0: involve a dog dying.
1: It didn't involve a dog, and so probably in the last ten years, it's probably one of my emotional uh, experiences in the movie. It is impressive. (laughs) Uh, I liked best the fact that it didn't need a whole bunch of uh, piled on crap and then at the, they, they returned to this idea and uh, like thematically and also visually at the end of the movie so um, I think it's important uh, um, to I don't know bring attention to the, to the fact and, and, and you know I'm not no big voice for causes but I do think it's kind of horrific the way we've treated the Native Americans in our country my grandmother was Native American and uh, you know, it's, it's just a, it's, it's the, the reservation system is really kind of effed up. And that's one thing that we don't really hear much about. We always hear about, like, change the Redskins, the name of the Redskins. And then that's pretty much it. You don't really hear about these weird, random statistics. Uh, apparently, women growing up on a reservation are 10 times more likely to be murdered. And wow. the rape statistics are incredibly high because there's, I mean, there's a the violent. Uh, situation that they find themselves in so anyway Mm -hmm. this movie explores that and it's a lot like sicario in the the development of the character who believes in institutions for her whole life and then she realized this thing that she's bought into which is supposed to protect and serve uh the people who are more downtrodden don't it really doesn't work just the system is too screwed up And and she's a part of it and it kind of scares her or or not scares her, it just disillusions her. So Wind River, I thought it was all excellent. It's way up there on my list. So. it's one of the few movies I think we saw together that we liked. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Didn't we see Yeah we Wind saw it River together? Did? did you see when it came out?
2: It came out in the middle of the summer.
1: Oh, all right. Well it's set in, winter. <laughs> it's set it in the winter. It's it so <laughs> that addles my brain a little bit. At any rate, so what was
2: that for me? Number six? I got four or five more to go? Yeah, uh Lasky, I believe you're on number two. Oh wait.
0: Yes, my number two is Call Me By Your Name, which was a movie I was very much looking forward to. I had read the novel this summer by Andre Aciman, and uh, I actually thought it was unfilmable. Um, I didn't know how they would be able to turn this book into a movie, because the book is so um, internalized. It's really the story that's told through the eyes of the young man um and a lot of it seems to take place in his head so i wasn't sure how they would do it without a lot of voiceover and yet um they did find a way to break the spring the the novel open and and make it a visual movie and it was be- stunningly beautiful um the director and James Ivory of Merchant and Ivory fame um did a great job with taking this book and turning it into a movie um and Wait, was he, he was the director? No. No, he wrote the screen... He adapted oh, he the screenplay. Okay. He's up for best adapted
1: screenplay. Right. Play. The, the director's Italian,
0: right? Yeah, Luca Guadagnino. I don't know how to say that. Yeah. I probably just purchased it. Um, I'd never heard of, actually,
1: to be honest. We'll hear from our Italian audience.
0: <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> on Facebook. I think he's done a couple of other movies that people have really liked, but I couldn't tell you what they are. I don't think this is his first movie ever. Um, but it... it um, it was very engrossing for me and very personal for me because it it was very similar to an experience I've had in my own life um, dealing with a first crush and how that can sometimes become a, a type of obsession. So it explores that very particular kind of first relationship when you're introduced to um, a relationship that includes sexuality um, and how that, seems to kind of transform your entire life and your worldview and everything in your life um, into something completely different. and transforms who you are as a person. And it was also revolutionary um, as a gay love story where there was no disease, no AIDS, no violence. Um, It was just two men who were in love and there's nothing necessarily standing in their way. Um, I don't think there's been a movie like that that I can recall um, I also liked that it um, explored the generational divide between um, different generations of um, homosexuals um, without giving too
2: much away. Um, yeah, it was a movie Lusk and I both caught up with in the last week or two. Oh, you didn't see it? And I think both of us watching the film, we were all right on it, but it's generated a lot of discussions. Um, the decisions characters make, um, your your feelings towards some of these characters and their motivations. I, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, also, the idea of a short-term romance, I think, is really interesting. I would compare this film a lot to the Before trilogy. You know, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, Before Sunrise. I think is the yeah. third one. I, I think in a lot of ways this shares a lot of those same qualities. Um, so there's, there's been a lot of interesting conversations we've had.
1: We, you you mentioned how the movies that stick with you are sometimes the the best movies, regardless Mm -hmm. of what's on the screen. Yeah. For me, the best part of this movie has, have been the endless discussions that I've had, not only with Mr. Bull, but also my fiance, Tony, and she really wants you to know that she loves this movie because (laughs) I'm, it's, it's further down on my list than most I mean, again, it's all, she, she thinks I'm emotionally stunted anyway. So she realizes that I have no, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily have the ability to, to, what is it? Put myself empathize necessarily with Mm -hmm. characters. Same (laughs) problem I have with, um, horror movie, you know, but the movies that do make me empathize are, are very good. And the discussions that have come out of it, not only with Mr. Bull and Tony, but also in my classroom, which Bull was surprised. I brought it up in my AP classes, uh, or class that, uh, I, I thought that those were the best parts of it. So the fact that the movie engendered that much conversation alone makes it, I mean, it, it makes it worthwhile and it still resonates. There are some things about it, though, that beyond, I mean, I, I'm going to put the. All right. So you said engrossing and mm-hmm. I would say the emphasis is on gross. Okay. There <laughs> for some things that have. Like, not, what do you mean? I'll, I'll have to tell you offline because okay. I don't really want to talk about it. But there are things that, that were. That were kind of, yeah, that, things that, that stopped me from being able to talk to my students and and tell the students that I think they should go see the film because, I don't know, maybe I'm conservative, maybe I'm maybe I'm whacked out on this, but emphasis on the word whack.
0: What did they, How did your students seen it? <laughs>
1: uh, no, but a couple of them wanted to, and okay. the question, the, the thing that's most interesting to me that has created the most conversation about the movie has been things independent of homosexuality and it's all about parenting choices and that's what i brought up to my kids because tony and i are of two separate minds i think mr bull and i are of two separate minds on the the parental decisions in the movie and i brought it up to my students outside of a gay context and they looked at it through the the prism for a while of the the situation that i set up with respect to you know, should parents do this one thing or should parents do this other thing? Then they realized what movie we were talking about and they said, oh, is this Call Me By Your Name? And I was like, yeah, well, maybe, I don't know because that's not really interesting. That The, the element of uh, whether or not it's a gay relationship, I think colors your opinion or would color your opinion. And for some kids it did, but for other kids, it made them think more positively of the things that I was having negative problems with, which is something that, it, it's not surprising, but it just shows where we are as a country and where, where how quickly this group of, of people have, have become more accepting of, of those types of relationships. They put it in context of the time period and the type of relationship that it was, and it gave them a more positive outlook on what the parents ultimately did. Well, Whereas the nowadays... The
0: thing you should keep in mind, just for your own edification, um, it's a French writer, and um, the... It's a very, even though the parents are American, it's a very European worldview, which oh, is very I, I, different than T- Tony kept the American me worldview. Too. No, I get it. It's I mean, very I'm just, different from my worldview. I'm not, say, right, I'm not so. saying you have to make it your worldview. I just, no, I'm the, just saying to look at parents who have a very European approach to life and the way they raise their children, to, to put your American viewpoint on
1: that is maybe... no. Believe me, I get it. Okay. However, I think that the movie allows. For I, I agree. I my actually agree that there are some problems. I'm not gonna.
0: I'm not dismissing you. I'm really not. No, I mean, no, no. I, I, I think I, I, I mentioned sure it in my email without getting too much into it right here. I, I mean, I. Yeah. It bothers me that they kept his age as seventeen because I know that's a huge issue for people. If they had just made him eighteen, then it wouldn't have been such a big thing. And then he brings up the idea of how arbitrary the number is. Like, why is seventeen so different from eighteen? Yeah, like,
1: that's like the ultimate that's a whole troll. Other, it's another issue altogether. It's a troll by the director, I think. But I mean, it does. It, it, it age issue aside, the age gap aside, there are some things with respect to the parental decisions that I disagree with, and it has nothing to do with same sex necessarily. I mean, some people think that that's what it is. that I might have some type of hang up against that no, relationship, I but I don't think that of you at all. I, um, you're... You know, I'm woke.
0: You're surprisingly open-minded.
1: <laughs> See, it is a surprise for a lot of people. Like, I'm a different person than I used to be. And, I, I mean, a lot of that has to do with experiences, uh, you know, friendships and stuff like that. And, and I, I'm i glad that I'm this kind of person now, as opposed to what I might have been in the past, you know. And that was clearly defined. But you were going to say something about the conversation that we yeah. had surrounding it?
2: No, I mean, we've, we've danced around it, and I, I don't want to give it away. All right, yeah. Because... Um, Like like I said, it's a movie, I think, as you're watching it, you think, well, clearly it is this. You know, this is the way everyone's going to understand the film. You start talking about it, um, and it's not. It's the ultimate is a hot dog a sandwich movie. Or a taco. Have have, have you ever asked people that? Interesting metaphor. When you do it in a classroom (laughs) with your students, all the kids think they have an instant response, and they feel very strongly and. You know, a hot dog has to be a sandwich, or there's no way. And when they find out other people don't believe the same thing that they believe, instant discussion pops up. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of those type of films.
1: Now I'm so intrigued to find out what Mr. Gomez's number one movie
2: is. I have no idea. I can't figure it out.
0: But we still need to talk about your number two, Mr. Gomez. My number two?
2: Yes. Yeah, but he's not more. Oh, this this movie's going to generate tons of discussion with you two.
1: Mr. Bull is not all right. All right, trolling me.
2: This is a fantastic film. I had trouble (laughs) deciding between this and another film because uh, this is a sequel, John Wick Chapter Two. (laughs) I had trouble (laughs) deciding between this and Atomic Blonde.
1: That
2: actually doesn't surprise me, to be honest. I I love the first John Wick. John Wick Wick was one of your favorite movies that year. I think it's a fantastic action film. Um, Great driving scenes. Great hand to hand. uh, Great gunfights. Um, this brings everything and more. Uh, Keanu Reeves reprises his role as John Wick in this. Um, Ruby Rose from Orange's New Black is in the film as this silent assassin. Uh, Common is in the film. He has, and this is ultimately what swayed me to pick John Wick Chapter 2 <laughs> over Atomic Bond- Blonde was it had the best action scene. His, John Wick's fight with Common in this film is fantastic. And I thought, well, I love action films. If this has the best one in it, it deserves to be in my top five list. Um, Also, this is the only popcorn film I've picked so far. So, so far, wait a minute. (laughs) No, I
0: have no problem with you picking whatever you Uh, want
1: to pick. No way, that doesn't count. John Wick Two, a sequel to a bad movie to begin with. No, the first John Wick. Actually, John Wick. When you could have picked The Atomic Blinds. I mean, the John Tom Wick
0: did very well with the critics, believe it or not. It was not... It was But not... John Wick 2 didn't. Yeah. No, and the Atomic Blonde got a solid... I think they said it
2: was I think more of the same. The it original John bad. Wick it was just... didn't get great reviews at first. And then oh, really? people kind of found out about it. And I think people discovered the yeah, film kind of, like, kind of like The Matrix. The first Matrix was not beloved right out of the gate. But people warmed up to it. I think that's the same thing here. And a lot of the reviews I read after watching the film, it was people, you know, kind of going, you know, I, I always liked the first one too. And, you know, oh, I, was a of the, yeah, I was a big champion of the first film. And I thought, mm. screw you guys. This is my <laughs>
1: film. Getting very good reviews, but I don't I mean, I, I think it's probably less than John Wick. I, I, I think it may be in the high 80s in, on the Rotten Tomato meter. But that is good. That's, that's fine. I mean... Atomic Blonde though was original and interesting and intriguing but if you're separating it in terms of action I suppose
2: that you're you're the connoisseur of that so Atomic Blonde was I mean a yeah. great film too and well, he's the director of Atomic Blonde five. worked on John Wick one, he teamed with the director, uh, and they co-directed the first one. Then they've split off done their own projects, and in some ways, I'm kind of glad they are, because they're both very talented filmmakers, and now I get twice as many movies to watch from. Them. <laughs> okay, so that's my number two.
1: Interesting. So far, that's your number number two movie action movie on the list, and
2: I don't think we've you've had a, a superhero movie. No, the superhero movies were just right outside of the top five. If we were probably doing a top ten. I probably would have either had Logan or Spider Man up there. Oh, uh, but when you down have to Wonder just Woman five. and
0: Logan in my top ten.
2: Okay. So they were just that. And outside. Thor
0: Ragnarok was hard not to include it. I wanted to. It's probably like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. It the, was, yeah, they were They didn't is, make it into the five, but they were they were there were some great superhero movies this year.
1: Wonder Woman would have gotten an eight for me. She got a seven. It would have gotten an eight if it ended at a certain point in the movie. But they tacked on another thirty minutes and it made it less than what it could have been. So, So it was marginal at best, but, you know, I don't really like circle hero movies. It's it's up there with circus movies with me. Did you see (laughs) Thor Ragnarok? Ragnarok? I did, and it was uh, about the same. Thor Ragnarok and Wonder Woman were about the same. Hmm. I had less... I had fewer problems with Thor Ragnarok, but it's still... I mean, it's Marvel. I didn't, don't like superhero movies, so... All right, that's fine. Most, no, I
0: know you don't, but I, for some reason I thought you might have been more impressed by Phil Ragnarok. Because
1: of, uh, of the, the director, Taika Waititi. director, yeah. 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 yeah, that was... It It was good. It was good. It was solid. Still not, you know...
0: I didn't think you would think it was wonderful. a 10, but I thought you would think was it was... I was hoping it would be better. One of the best of the superhero movies
2: recently.
1: And that, looking at my uh, list now, and I didn't do this before, I guess we're up to number one, right? We
2: are at number one. Yeah. So you actually have to give your actual number one. <laughs> Instead of trying to talk about four other I
1: cannot. Honestly, did. this this is... You, you mentioned that you thought, like, what what version of Richard Lusk are we seeing now? It, it is surprising to me that this list is so emotional. It's so tied to emotions. Because that really doesn't rise my... Uh, I mean, that's not why I go to movies. It's not why I enjoy movies. But it's probably the only reason why I, I like this movie, my number one movie of the year. And
0: I seem to recall
1: last year there was a
0: movie that was very emotional for
1: you and your father.
2: Yeah. The Taika Watiki movie. Uh, yeah. Not for the Wilder People, world. which we said was the movie of the year. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. No, I. True. But, so maybe you've had a breakthrough. Maybe, yeah. maybe
0: you are more emotionally invested now.
1: Maybe I'm trying to put up a... a, you, you, a you don't realize we do this podcast show. as therapy for you. <laughs> <laughs> a mock intervention. Honestly, the top movies on my list are not... Alright, I'm going to say this is my number one movie. Because it could very easily be my number one well, movie. Well, you have movie. to pick one. so it, It's going to be annoying for some people. But believe it or not, a ghost story from 2017... <laughs> How dare you Wait, you just said
2: Some people are going to be like this I'm like this And you're surprised <laughs> You I expected more from you
1: No, actually I expect a lot less from you But at any rate Have either of you seen this movie? No I have not Mr. Gomez, no Mr. Bull, no You've seen 150,000 movies it, it, In the last on year It's list now, to get to Alright I
0: can't I not know that it was in theaters Long enough to see, was it? And you have to remember, in Greenville, I don't, they trust Sadly, me, the, yes. the, I don't have an AMC-24 where mm. it took a long, long time for some of these movies to get to me, and they were gone so quickly.
1: Well, this movie I saw streaming. It's on Amazon now. Okay. I almost watched it before coming here today because I'm so enamored with it. And if it, if we were doing top musical moments of the year, it would be the song that plays at the 25-minute mark of this movie. Maybe even probably even earlier than that, but anyway, it involves uh, it involves a, a, a relationship between Cassie, uh, Cassie, what's his name, Casey Affleck, mm-hmm. and uh, Rooney Mara, who also starred in Anthem Body Saints, which was directed by David Lowry, who directed Pete's Dragon. See, I uh, um,
2: listening all back around. Now it feels like the last hour. You actually constructed this on purpose. Right, since that, that, that this just hasn't been random luck. <laughs> that this has all been a master plan. <laughs> I, I, I feel like uh, we're in the middle of the usual suspects.
1: Here. All the all the pieces fit together here. But it's true. It's about a man who becomes a ghost and remains in the house that he shares with his wife. And it's probably most famous, critically, for a eight-and-a-half-minute pie-eating scene. And she... It's an exploration of grief. That's all this movie is. They take, she, Rudy Mara, you know how people bring casseroles and crap, you know, as bereavement or whatever, and they they just pile people up with food. Um, Someone leaves a pie or gives her a pie, and then she takes and sits down on the kitchen floor and eats it for about eight and a half minutes. And they, they, it's a still shot of nothing but that. (laughs) But it allows you as an audience member to examine your own re personal emotional response to what that character is feeling in a way like few other movies are have even really tried to do so it's sort of an experimental film in that regard it's definitely not a mainstream film this guy took the money he made from peach dragon to make this movie uh i think he made it for a hundred thousand dollars or something one of the funny things is that casey the, the the ghost that appears in the story is a sheep He just puts a sheet on over his body, and he looks through these holes, you know, like, uh, I I don't know, like uh, Peanuts movies, (laughs) or Peanuts, you know, the costumes, uh, Halloween costumes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Casey Affleck apparently had to be the guy underneath the the sheet. He he needed that uh, to go through. He he was very protective of the sheet. That's the first 25 minutes of the movie, but then from there, after Rooney Mara's character sort of becomes more sidelined for whatever reason it becomes something other than what it was and there's a there's a musical moment that happens uh, with a song that Casey Affleck is writing because he's an artist and it connects to other things that happen in the movie and there's not been a better marriage of visual imagery and, uh, and music in a movie that I saw this year and... As an examination of grief, I get something else out of it that I don't think anybody else would get. For some reason, that makes me like it more. <laughs> like, if I know that there are other people that are looking at this and thinking that it's horrible, but I'm really enjoying it, that makes me enjoy it even more. <laughs> I don't know what that makes me. I'm <laughs> But there I am. And there it is. My number one movie of the year, a ghost like story. Um,
2: there was an article in Popular Science about it in the last edition, in sure. their best visual effects films. Apparently it was more than just a sheet over Casey Affleck's head. Oh yeah, they had, they had they
1: to had... put several layers to in order for it to fold and move in the right yeah, way. To now.
2: to look like the Charlie Brown ghost costume. In real life, you've got to do some extra stuff to create the right shape and still let the actors.
1: But again, we were talking before the show about how the best CGI is the CGI that you don't notice. Mm -hmm. So I I
2: wouldn't have noticed. That was unimportant to me. I didn't realize how elaborate it was and how much time and effort went into achieving the sheet over top of you ghost look. (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene where Rooney Mara leaves a note for her husband. And
1: the ghost finds out about this note from some, for some, from, I don't know, some circumstance allows for him to find out about this note. And then he attempts to read the note. And that, that alone, that like reaching out across time and through space and distance, uh, just makes it, it, it makes you sort of like go into your mind while you're watching this film. It's a very subjective thing, but you go into your mind and you start. Examining what would happen, and it just becomes a really trippy sort of—I don't know—thought experiment of where you will be intellectually. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's not—or not intellectually. Well, I guess spiritually, where you'll wind up spiritually. So anyway, number one, ghost story. Last, what you What's your number
2: one?
0: Uh, my number one is three billboards outside having Missouri. Mm.
1: Wow strong. Um, I like it. it that actually it, was my number one, too.
0: It was a movie I had been wanting to see for a long time, and it was very difficult for me to see because of where I live now. Uh, but I was finally able to see it um, when I visited a friend up in Washington, D.C., actually. So um, it just blew me away. I I actually found myself holding my breath while I was watching it. Um, it was um, another movie that I was completely engrossed in from start to finish, And um, I liked that it explored a lot of different themes, um, the patriarchy, misogyny, racism, bureaucracy, violence against women, all of these things kind of folded up into this one story about a woman trying to find justice for her daughter. Um, And it's also written by a playwright, Martin McDonough, who uh, I actually already knew of several of his other plays, The Pillow Man, which is an incredibly fascinating uh, play that I kind of blew my mind the first time I read it. I've never actually gotten to see it. And then I, w- I had the pleasure of actually doing one of his plays, The Cripple of Inishmen, uh two years ago. So he's a playwright that I'm familiar with, and I like his work. And I'm always impressed at how he is able to insert humor into situations where you would not expect it, or where it might not even be appropriate.
2: Yeah, Tonally, this movie... Could easily get away from itself and, and be considered very bad taste in the hands of a less so, experienced director and screenplay writer. Yeah, the
1: right. people that don't like it have that problem with it, but there aren't very many people that don't like it. It's the inside. It's got the inside track now. I think for picture of the year, that along with the fan er, no, so, that shape of water. and the Shape yeah, of the Water yeah, are really yeah. the two yeah, frontrunners,
0: so. and everyone has their opinion about I think that. It but we'll get to that in the next mm-hmm. hour. It deserves it. Um, and I also think the acting just across the board is exceptional. There's just not a bad person in it, so I, it's definitely my favorite movie of the year. I
1: absolutely enjoyed it well every deserved. single minute.
2: I like it. Um, my top film is from director Macon Blair. Uh, previously, he starred in Blue Room, a film that we were very big on. If you've listened to earlier podcasts, uh, this is—I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh wait, that's my—that's my number one too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a, I love that movie. The, oh,
0: so this is this is the
1: bandwagon. Oh, uh, yeah, no, actually, that we're getting today, which bandwagon? I, no, mask. no, I forgot about it. I—I I, I really had forgotten about the movie because I thought it was saw it so long ago.
2: Yeah, uh, it came out on Netflix, I think, back in February or March. uh, Stars Melanie Linsky as a nurse whose home is robbed, and she wants to get her stuff back. And it is a dark, dark comedy. It has one of the best cold opens of the year. Yeah, Um, And after that cold open, if you don't laugh, you probably should turn off the movie. Right. If if you do laugh at it, you'll enjoy the rest of the film. Uh, Elijah Wood... Uh, co-stars in the film as a uh, crazy guy with ninja stars. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Actually, and he, and he, I'm he throws them really hard. To, but it just made me remember when I was watching Three Billboards. I was one of the only people in the
1: theater laughing. Oh yeah, that's a that's it that's the same sort of experience I'm talking about with Ghost Story. Yeah, where you, you get it. No one else does.
0: So yeah. I understand that. That, I, that kind of humor where you either get it or you don't.
2: I love when I'm the only one laughing in the theater. I wish I could have seen this movie in theaters, but sadly, you yeah. like I said, it just streamed on Netflix. Um, we're both big fans of Macon Blair. I know the Laugh Podcast has tweeted out to him and he's returned some tweets. Um, yeah. He's getting some decent work. In Hollywood as an actor. He was in last year's Gold movie. Had the best mustache um, of the year last He's also year. briefly in The Florida Project. Um, he has some small scenes. Hopefully he yeah. gets some bigger roles here in the coming years. He, because I do think he's an underrated talent. Both in front of the camera and behind the camera.
1: If he becomes a, a mainstream director. And, and he starts doing the Hitchcock thing. Where he makes the cameos. This cameo that he put into this movie is
2: among the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, his cameo Thematically, quite good. and
1: then just like, just putting this, the, the character in the situation where her mindset
2: is, as referenced in the title. The, the other thing that I love about this movie is while I enjoy it, it's a very hard movie to recommend to people because it's only for a select number of people. Um, my parents will probably now go watch this movie and think that their child is a little demented. bit stranger than before, yeah, a little demented. Um, I was about to say, don't they already think you're demented? Yeah, yeah, but (coughs) I keep recommending these types of films, and they don't know what to do with me. So um, I don't feel at home in this world anymore is my number one film.
1: Excellent. Good good picks, guys. I, I would have picked those as my number one. Actually, they were on my list right here. I can show you. Where I had Dunkirk and Three Billboards and Darkest Hour, and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Well,
0: you didn't even have a list of one,
1: two, three. You just had them yes, kind of clumped. Actually, we'll start with number five, and I can tell well, you. Well,
2: before we do that, can I go over reader or listener Tony C's top oh, five yeah, list? Yeah, he did send in his list, and I know last year he sent it in, and we were unable to get on the show. <coughs> so, uh, Just real quick, uh, his number five film was Kingsman 2. Okay. Uh, at number four, he had Wonder. I know a lot of people were big on that okay. film. Not Wonderstruck. No, just Wonder. Well, there's yeah.
0: also Wonder Wheel. It's a big year for Wonder. It was Wonder Wheel. Oh, uh, Wonder Wheel Wonder was Wonder bad, Wonder? yeah. Um, I mean,
2: Wonder Bread needs to be the movie. <laughs> his top three films are all films we've talked about on the show. At number three, he had Brawl and Cell Block 99. At two, he agrees with you with Wind River. And at number one, he agrees with Mr. Lasky on The Greatest Showman. Mr. Gomez. They're Mr. Gomez is all silver, I know. <laughs>
1: it's
0: so hard yeah, who's Lasky? <laughs> no it's no, okay man. i don't care it's just funny because all at the very end you're gonna call yeah. me Lasky. and they're like who is he talking about yeah no i'm not upset i really not i don't care so yeah tony i i like all right tony c great job
1: list. tony c i agree with you i agree with one of you <laughs> one thing you said <laughs> do you want to give us your list again yeah i can go from uh my number five well should I start with number uh, five. 5 point3 point no, no just all right, five, just to, five one. to one. So the movies I talked about were landline was uh, the movie with Jenny Slate, which you can now stream on Amazon Prime an examination of 1997 and the experiences there Wonderstruck was my fourth movie uh, about two children having disparate or similar yet disparate journeys. My number three movie was Phantom Thread, which we talked about at length, uh, Exam uh, sort of a period picture of the uh, fashion industry. I also saw a uh, number two movie of the year this year was Wind River, uh, the uh, Indian abduction, uh, revenge, sort of tense, neo-noir, Western thing. And then my number one movie of the year, which is sort of unexplainable uh, as a genre, because it's not horror, but it is a ghost story. It's Examination of Grief. Those are my top five movies of 19, 017. 2017. Very nice. <laughs> Mr. Gomez, what say you? Uh, so my number five
0: pick was Lady Bird. Um, kind of a portrait of a mother and daughter and the cutting of the apron strings and how the two of them deal with it. Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas is Anderson's. Intense exploration of the artistic mind and obsession and control. Number three, The Greatest Showman, um, a brilliant modern movie musical um, that does everything you want a movie to do. Number two, Call Me By Your Name, um, a film version of a novel that I thought was unfilmable, exploring a first-crush relationship that turns to obsession. And number one, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri – about a woman trying to fight
1: everyone to get some justice for her daughter. And, Mr. Bull,
2: your f- top five movies. Uh, my number five was Bridsby Bear, about a <laughs> I man-child name. on a mission. My number four like was Brawl in Cell Block 99, about a man on a mission in prison. My number three was no- Novitiate, about a woman on a mission from God. Number two was John Wick chapter two about a man who everyone else's mission is to kill. <laughs> and my number one was I don't feel at home in this world anymore about a woman whose mission is to get back her stuff.
0: Well, maybe John Wick's mission is to stay alive.
1: I just realized when that... everyone's p- trying to murder him.
2: Mister, Most of Mr. Bull's picks,
1: I mean, the theme that runs through his five picks are that they're all semi-autobiographical. <laughs> <laughs> so that you have like this... Close personal connection to every one of those movies.
2: Yeah, personal experience is very personal. (laughs) Definitely.
1: definitely How many times he talked
0: about wanting to be a nun and how it said he was that he couldn't.
1: Well, there you go. That explains a lot psychologically, psychoanalytically. So those are our top five movies. The Laugh Podcast's top five movies of 2017. We hope you enjoyed the show.
2: Um, Hopefully the wait for the next episode won't be as long. We should be right back at you with episode 207 shortly as we give our Oscar picks.
1: Yeah, we're going to do the Oscars show um, rather quickly. We look forward to seeing you, audience members, very soon. If you want to contact us, you can still reach out to us on Facebook at uh, The Laugh Podcast. Mm -hmm. That's LAF Podcast. And uh, we're on Twitter, also at uh, twitter.com slash laughpodcast. Or you can email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. So we're looking forward to seeing all those uh, those contacts come in very quickly. Uh, so, Mr. Gomez, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, and thanks for, for having really me, as really always. It's episode. always a pleasure. And uh, for Mr. Bull over there. Pleasure as always. I'm uh, Mr. Luss, the L-Train. Poxet Modem, everybody. There be dragons.